Great to see you this morning as you're getting seated there. Uh, my name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm inviting you now to pull out your Bible, and let's get ready to be in the Word together. The ushers are out there, and if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and they're coming down the aisle. We want you to have the Word in front of you. We're looking at a magnificent passage today. We say that every Sunday. Find me a verse that's not magnificent, and I'll find you a verse that's not in the Bible, right? So we're always going to these incredible scriptures, um, and today we do that as well. Romans chapter 12, okay? That's where we're going. Romans 12, turn there. Last Sunday, we launched into a new series of teachings here at our church, and we're calling this series The Pursuit. And the subtitle is Exploring the Biblical Call to Holiness. So we started a new series on a really big theme, all right? Church, this is, a, this is a massive one, the theme of holiness. And if you were with us last week, you probably came to the realization of just how incredibly important this theme is of holiness, God's holiness and also my holiness and whether I'm pursuing holiness. So that, that, that phrase, the pursuit, it comes from a verse that we looked at last Sunday in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, where the writer of Hebrews writes to the church and he says, strive for or pursue after that holiness without which no one will see God. No one will see God without holiness. So we talked about this pursuit, whatever it is that we're talking about, this is not just an extracurricular activity. This is literally the most important thing that we're doing here in this time that we have on earth. We're learning what it looks like to pursue holiness. And so if you missed last week, it was, it, we sort of laid the, the, the groundwork for our series and you can go back and listen to that message um, so that you can sort of stay with us. But one of the things we did last week is we defined holiness. And many of you were pleasantly surprised. And I know this because we heard from you through emails and phone calls and conversations. And you said, wow, that was like a very refreshing approach to holiness. I assumed that as you presented holiness, it would make God intimidating and unapproachable. And in fact, the way you defined holiness felt a lot more biblical because here's what we said. We said holiness in the Bible, what it means is that God is, you remember this? God is so beautiful and he's so pure and God is so one of a kind. He's absolutely unique. He's so beautiful, he's so pure, he's so one of a kind that if there is a single place in the universe that you wanna be, it's in his presence, right? Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound good? That's where I wanna be. I wanna be in God's presence. And as we defined holiness like that, for so many in our church, our hearts came alive. Because if you've been around the church a lot, you've heard holiness defined primarily as what God is against. But the Bible comes at it from a totally different angle. And it says, it's, holiness is not about all that God is against. Holiness is about what God is for. He's for his own beauty and his own purity. And you know what? It's attractional. God wants to draw you in closer and closer into his presence. And I hope that was compelling for you. It's compelling for me. And so what we did is from there, we went to a definition of our own holiness. So we start out with God's holiness, which is pure and beautiful and attractional. And that leads us naturally to the simplest definition of 
personal holiness, I can give it to you in three words. It goes like this, moving towards God. Remember that? We talked about that at, at its core, if you strip away all the, all the extras, at its core, holiness for you means moving towards God because that's, that's where you want to be as close to God as you can possibly be because in his holiness, and so personal holiness means getting closer and closer and closer to God. And we said last week, holiness is, is about the direction of your life. It's, it's, not, it's not so much about a description of who you are, it is, but it's more about the direction of your life. I asked you the question, probably the most critical question that you can answer in your life, and the question was this, which direction are you going right now? Which direction are you going? Are you moving towards God? If you're moving towards God, you're moving towards personal holiness. But if you're going in the other direction, if you're moving away from God, what I suggested last week is I can almost assure you you're not pursuing holiness. You're moving away from holiness. It's sort of like it's one or the other. You're, you're either going towards God or you're moving away from God. There's no neutral ground, right? A brother said to me last week, there's no spiritual Switzerland, all right? I like that. There's no neutrality. It's like you're going one way or you're going the other. And the question is, which direction are you going? And here's what I want to talk about this morning. See, this is the perfect way to understand holiness. Because I, I want you to think about your life real quick. Let me suggest something. You know what, brother, sister? If you're moving towards God in your life, the reason why that creates holiness is because as you get closer and closer to God, you begin to be conformed into who God is. Think about this for a minute. As you move towards God who's pure and beautiful and radiant, everything about your life, all of the most important stuff is gonna begin to change. The way you think, the attitudes that you harbor in your heart, the way you speak, what you think about, all of those things will begin to be conformed as you get closer and closer and closer to God. You're going to become conformed to God. It's a lot like moving towards God is a lot like moving towards the sun, right? You know this, if you move towards the sun, you're not going to change the sun. Did you know this? If you move towards the sun, the sun is going to change you. You're going to burn up, all right? If you move towards the sun, you're not changing the sun. The sun is changing you. That's a lot, that's a lot like what we're talking about. The sun's been in the news a lot this week, hasn't it? Have you been reading the news about the solar eclipse that's coming up? Have you heard about this? It's all over the news. On August 21st, there will be a solar eclipse. You know, they're saying that a million people will come to Oregon to see this. Um, have you heard this? A million people will converge upon the state of Oregon. They're saying the traffic will be so bad, okay? It will be like when, you know, when you're on I-5 on a football game day where there's the Ducks and the Beavers are both playing. Take that, multiply it by 10. That's what it's going to be like, traffic. The hotels have been sold out. They've been sold out for like two years. Can you believe this? People are coming, and what I read this week is you actually, did you know this? You actually have to have a special pair of sunglasses to look at the sun. Did you know this? You can't look at the sun directly. Don't do that. It's not good on the eyes, okay? Even when there's a total eclipse, 
a total solar eclipse, you still have to have these special sunglasses. Whoever invented these is on a beach somewhere, like retired, but he made a lot of money. And you put these, even when it's a solar eclipse, because it only lasts for a few moments, even when the sun is like 98% covered, it's so bright that it will literally damage your eyesight. So people have been buying these glasses. They're coming to Oregon. They're clogging up our roads. What the heck is going on here? You know, we're so bored in our country. But anyway, the point stands. It's like we're buying sunglasses so we can look at the sun. I think there's more important things to do, right? But here's the point. That's a lot like what it's like to move towards God. If you move towards God, brother, sister, you're gonna change. If you pursue God in your life, things about your life are gonna begin to change. And that brings us to the theme that I want to talk about this morning. And it's, it's an amazing theme. And it's a theme that Paul talks about in Romans 12. And the theme is this. Holiness at its core, holiness is about changing. It's about change in your life. As you pursue holiness and as you pursue God, that's going to require that you begin to change in your life. Will you look at it with me? Romans 12, verse 1, an amazing passage. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Here's how Paul talked about it. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Look at this, but... Be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you see the theme of change in this passage? Will you look really closely at the first words of Verse 2, I want to have you just hover over verse 2 for a minute because Paul uses this incredible little phrase where he talks about being transformed. Being transformed basically means to change. And what, what Paul's saying is, he's saying, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but it's time to change. It's time to be transformed. And God would say, that is like the most important thing that can happen in your life. God is saying, this is like my primary goal for you is that you change. You, you need to change. God is saying, brother, sister, I don't want you any longer to be shaped and formed and molded by this world and the, and the values of this world. It's time for you to begin to change. I want you to be transformed. Did you know that that is God's like primary agenda for your life? Did you know this? His primary goal for your life while you're here is that you would begin to change. And I don't know about you, but that's, that sounds like really good news to me because I want to change. I want to change in my life. Don't you? I mean, honestly, can we stop and think about this for a minute? Don't you want to be a person who's constantly changing in your life? You don't want your Christian life to be static have you ever had a situation, I have constantly, where suddenly you come to the realization of some flaw in your character, some ugly aspect of, of how sin works in your life, 
And God in his grace will present that to you and you'll, and you'll come to this realization, man, like I'm constantly doing this and it's really ugly. And then you go, I want to change. I don't want to be like this a year from now, you know? And one of the incredible joys of the Christian life is that God wants you to change and his mission is that you do change, right? I remember right when I became a Christian, I was an 18-year-old young man, and I came to Christ, and right away I became aware of a, of a flaw in my character that was, I was really embarrassed about, okay? And it really bothered me. I came to this realization, I'm kind of a self-centered guy, you know? Pretty self-centered. And it, and it was in coming to Christ and learning the gospel, like Colin t- talked about in worship this morning, really getting the gospel that I came to this realization, I'm, I'm pretty selfish, you know? I'm selfish and I think a lot about myself. I'm not that good of a listener, you know? I, I was one of those guys, one of those annoying guys who would finish people's sentences. Do you know those people? They're super annoying, okay? If I've done that to you, I apologize. I'm still working on it. But you know, you're talking and someone's like, they like, they like find the words that they think you're trying to say. That was me, all right? So I wasn't a very good listener. And what happened in my life was that it, the relationship that exposed that flaw more than any was getting married, <laughs> right? Getting married. I got married, Kathy and I got married at a very young age, 22 years ago. We got married this August, 22 years, okay? I was 22 years old. I was just a little sapling, you know? Just a little sapling. I, you know, I turned 21, legal drinking age. I turned right around and I got married. I don't know, what was I thinking? Like just, I got married super young and right out of the gate within the first month or two of getting married, I realized Marriage is hard. I mean, this is really hard. And selfishness does not help in marriage. It's like not a characteristic that's contributing well to what's going on in my relationship, right? I was self-centered and that was causing so many problems. And I can remember to this day the very first like real fight that Kathy and I had. It was brutal. It was brutal. It was a lot like that video that you've seen out there called It's Not About the Nail. Do you know that video that I'm talking about? It's Not About the Nail. Have you seen this video? You've got to look this up. Okay, there's a husband and wife and they're having this conversation and she keeps saying, you're not listening to me. And she keeps talking about this pain that she feels in her forehead and there's this massive nail sticking out of her forehead. Have you seen this video? And the husband keeps going, well, I think that if we just remove that nail and she's like, it's not about the nail. You're not listening to me, you know? And she would say, just listen, stop trying to solve my problems, dude, just listen. And then she'd go, yeah, it's just brutal. There's like constantly this discomfort and it's, I don't, it's right up here. And the husband's like sweating and his face is turning red, you know, and he's like, that was me. I always wanted to solve her problems. I always wanted to interrupt. I always want, I, I wasn't a good listener. And you know what happened in my life? By God's grace, I struggled. And I repented and I grew and I confessed and I made mistakes and Kathy was gracious to me. But more importantly, God worked on my heart and he drew me closer to Christ and I started to experience some change in my life. And by God's grace, I can say I've, I've grown in that aspect of my life, you know? Isn't God good? Isn't he good? Now, how about you? 
Is there an area of your life right now where you really want to change? Don't let this moment pass, okay? This is, this is about you this morning. Is there an area in your life where you're like, I want to change. I need to change in this area of my life. Has God been coming to you and presenting this something in your life and saying, you know, this, you know, this is not the prettiest part of your life. This is an area of sin that I want to change right now. Maybe for you it's anger. And maybe you struggle with anger in your relationships with your kids or with your spouse or at work and you constantly flare up and you're like, oh man, I don't want to be in this same place a year from now, Lord, please. Maybe for you it's gossip. Maybe you talk a lot about other people behind their backs. Maybe for you it's, you know, self-righteousness, the way you view other people. You're constantly looked down on people. Maybe for you it's some kind of substance abuse or, you know, inappropriate behavior in relationships, you know, flirting with people that aren't your spouse. What is it? We all have something, and God in his grace comes, and he presents that to you, and he says, this needs to change, right? So what about you? What do you want to change? Will you take that thing? And when you hold it this morning, because as we study this passage, I think God is going to do something really miraculous in your life this morning. Are you expectant? Do you want that today? I hope you do. Can I point something out about the word transformation? Will you look at it in your Bible? Paul said, brother and sister, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. It's time to be transformed. You need to change. You need to change. That word transformed is a really, really marvelous word in the Greek. I'm going to say it to you in the Greek, and you're going to, you're going to immediately recognize what that word is. In the Greek, the word is metamorpho. Right? Recognize that? Metamorphosis. The word is not talking about change that's just on the outside. It's not just external stuff. So the kind of change that God wants in your life is not, it's not just behavior modification. It's not about just changing what happens out here. You know what? Lots of people can do that for a while. You can work up the self-control and muster all your self-discipline and you can stop doing something for a time, but eventually what's going to happen is your insides are always going to express themselves on the outside, right? And that's why the kind of change that Paul talks about and that God is after is the kind that's like a metamorphosis where you literally get transformed from the inside out. So this is like a complete it's a complete renovation of the house. We're not talking about paint and new, you know, new siding. We're talking about taking the house down to the foundation and rebuilding from the bottom up. And God says, this is the kind of change that I want in your life. And he says, and the way that I want to do that change is I want to turn you, brother, sister, I want to turn you more and more and more into what Jesus looks like. That's what God wants. He wants you to look like Jesus and act like Jesus, and think like Jesus. Did you know that? So you take that thing that you're wrestling with. Maybe for you, it's gossip. The way you use your mouth, you, you talk about people in a way that's harmful. And then if you were to ask the question, I wonder how Jesus used his words. 
And you could look and you could go to the gospels and you could read and look at the person of Christ and you could realize, man, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to talk the way that Jesus talked. And you know what God says? That's exactly my agenda for your life. I want you to be more and more like Jesus every day. Can I show you where I'm getting that? Will you keep your finger in Romans 12 and turn to the right about 13 pages in your Bible? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to share with you the only other verse in the Bible that uses the word metamorphosis. Metamorpho. This word transformed, it occurs two times in the Bible. Romans 12, chapter 2, and 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And here's what Paul says there. He says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. You see it? We're going through a metamorphosis. And how is that happening? We're going through metamorphosis and we're doing it into the image, into the same image from one degree to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want you to look at that verse because that verse is like the perfect description of what God wants to do in your life to bring about holiness or what we call sanctification. He wants you to go on a journey of sanctification and here's what that journey looks like. We behold Christ in his glory, and as we behold Jesus, we start to be transformed more and more from one degree to another. Sometimes they seem like small degrees, right? Maybe for you right now, you're like, I don't feel like I'm changing very much. That's okay. It doesn't say how much it happens each day or each year. It just says this is the direction that your life should be going. Your life should be directed towards Christ, beholding Christ, where you begin to change, you begin to be transformed day in, day out. You become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And God says, did you know that is my fundamental goal for your life? That is what I'm trying to do in your life right now. So think about this, River West. You want to change. You know there's stuff in you that's ugly. And you, don't, and you don't want that. And you know who else wants you to change? The God of the universe wants you to change. If you want to change, and if the God of the universe wants to change, then we've got a lot of things going for us, don't we? This is like really good news. Because that means that the God of the universe has the same agenda for your life that you do. And he has devoted all of his most precious resources to helping you change. He sent his one and only son into the world who paid for our sins on the cross. He poured out his Holy Spirit into your heart so that you could have a new heart and new desires. When you became a Christian, God gave you a new heart and he gave you his Holy Spirit. God has given us his word. We have all of these incredible resources right here at our fingertips and God says, I want you to change and I have devoted all of these incredible resources to help you in that process. Isn't that great news? That's why back in Romans 12, Paul says, I want you to do this by the mercies of God. Did you notice that? Go back to Romans 12 real quick. And we read fast and we read over stuff. But Paul says, hey, 
Brothers and sisters, it's by the mercies of God that I want you to do all these things. That phrase, the mercies of God, is basically a summary of Romans chapters 1 through 11. You could summarize the entire first 11 chapters of Romans by God's mercies. Because all that Paul does in Romans is he talks about, here's what God has done for you through his gospel, through his son, Jesus Christ. You've been justified by faith. You've received the Holy Spirit. And all of that is God's mercy. And now all God is calling you to do is to go on a journey of change. It's amazing. That's what God wants for your life. Now, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 are very special to me. These are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. And my goal in the next 15 minutes is that before you leave, these will become some of your favorite two verses in the Bible. I already know for some of you, they already are, right? You love these verses. These are very famous verses. But I want you to know, just this is Adam, your friend, your brother in Christ. These are two of my favorite verses in the Bible. And here's why. They are so incredibly practical. They're just so practical. When I get done reading these two verses, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I know what to do. I don't know just how change happens. I actually, I, or I, I don't know what change is. I actually know how to do it. It's like th this verse gives me the mechanics of sanctification. And here's what it says. Here's what you need to do. I'm going to put these on the screen and then I'm going to, there's two things, if you want to change, if you want to grow in holiness, here are the two things that you need to do. And you need to do these every day of your life until Jesus takes you home, okay? Here's what you need to do. Number one, set before God your physical body and turn over to him complete control. You say, no problem, dude. I got that. <laughs> That's kind of a big one, right? Set before God your physical body and turn over to him complete control. That's the first thing you need to do. And here's the second thing you need to do. Set before God your mind and humbly allow him to reshape and renew your thinking. And Paul says, I want you to do both of those things every day. And it has to be both. See, holiness, growing, becoming like Jesus, it's, it's internal. It's got to be about your mind being changed. And it's external. It's got to express itself physically. Paul always takes the exterior and the interior and he holds them together. It happens in your body. It happens in your mind. You can't separate those, right? So it's not just about forcing change on the outside, but your heart is still wicked and wasting away. Your heart has to change. Your mind has to change. And then as your heart and your mind changes, your body will change. And Paul says, take both of those things and do them every single day because transformation is a journey. It's a process. Sanctification is what is happening to me for the rest of my life. So for the rest of my life, this is the program right here. So practical. When I was 18 years old, right after I came to Christ, I memorized Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. 
I committed them to memory. And what I started to do was I meditated on those verses every day. And the reason that I did this is because God was very gracious to me and he brought into my life a mentor, a youth pastor who became one of my very best friends. His name was Eric Schofield. And Eric Schofield was not only there when I heard the gospel and came to Christ, but then Eric Schofield began to walk with me and teach me how to now live my newfound Christian faith. Did you have somebody like that in your life who mentored you? Raise your hand just so I can see. Did any of you have somebody in your life who mentored you? Isn't that a gift from God? So precious. Schofield was not only my friend, he, he loved me and he said, Adam, here's what, here's what needs to happen now in your life. You've come to faith in Christ and God wants you to begin to change and God wants you to begin to grow as a Christian and here's what I want you to do. I want you to memorize Romans 12, verses one and two. And he taught me how to do it. He told me that meditation is a biblical thing, you know? Meditation is not, it's not, it doesn't come from the world of Eastern religions, River West. Meditation is a Christian practice. In fact, in Christianity, in, in Eastern religions, meditation is about emptying yourself. But Christianity takes it even one step further and it says, no, meditation is about filling yourself. And what you fill yourself with is the word of God. So Schofield would come to Willamette University my freshman year, and he would pick me up every once in a while, and we would drive out to the abbey out here. We'd go up to the Catholic abbey down by Woodburn, and we'd go up there, and we would, we would spend time fellowshipping, and then we would break off, and we would take a walk, and we would memorize scripture. And then we would come back together, and we would check in with each other, and I would share what I was learning. And, and Schofield said to me, he said, here's what I want you to do. I don't just want you to memorize these words, I want you to begin to pray them. I want you to pray into Romans 12, 1 and 2. So don't just memorize the words. Actually take the words, meditate on them, and begin to pray about them, and then begin to make that a daily practice. Every day you start your day, you open the Bible, or you have it committed to memory, and you just pray this prayer, and you meditate on Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you say, God, I want to do this today in my life. And you, and you commit it to the Lord in prayer. And Schofield said to me, he said, I guarantee you, if you do this every day, you will grow. You will grow and you will change. And River West, I'm making that same guarantee to you right now, this morning. If you do this, you will begin to change. You will. Are you struggling with something right now? Are you wrestling with something and you're like, this, this, I've, I've been struggling with the same thing for the last year or two years or five years. Have you experienced frustration? Have you stalled out in your Christian life? Have you flatlined and you feel frustrated about it? And you realize I'm not growing, I'm not changing. Something is not working right now in my Christian life. I'm standing up here and I'm guaranteeing you that if you take Romans 12, 1 and 2 and you begin to pray them in your life every day, you will begin to change. I promise you. Give it a try. How, how can it hurt, right? And here's what you're going to discover. As you meditate 
on this verse. Here's what you're going to discover. The first thing you're going to discover is that the language in Romans 12.1 is super radical. It's really radical. So we look at it now with me. Notice in verse 1 that Paul tells us to do something pretty radical. The language of this verse comes from the world of the sacrificial system. Did you notice this? It's all sacrificial. So he's talking about living sacrifices. He's talking about presenting bodies. He's talking about things that are holy and pleasing to God. He's talking about spiritual worship. Paul is borrowing from the Old Testament world of the, of the temple and the sacrificial system. And what he's encouraging you to do is to get inside of that temple and, and think of yourself as in the presence of God and what happens in your life as you pray and you meditate is that you come before God and you present to him a sacrifice. But instead of laying on the altar a goat or a ram, you lay on the altar your own body, your physical body, and you present it to God. That's what the word present means. It means you set it before God. You, you put it out before God and you say, God, this is yours. I commit it to you. I commit it to your purposes. So my spirituality is not just internal. It's, it's an external thing too. It involves my, my body. And Paul says this is now how Christians worship. Christians worship by giving themselves to God as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Have you ever heard the phrase, the problem with a living the problem with a, with, a, with, a, with a living sacrifice is it keeps trying to climb off the altar. Have you ever heard that phrase? <laughs> I keep presenting myself to God and myself keeps trying to climb off the altar, right? It doesn't want to be there. That's why Paul's saying you have to, every day you have to come before God and you have to present your body to him. Your body is not naturally going to do this. It doesn't want to do it. You have to present your body to God and it's got to be a physical thing. It's so interesting Paul specifically says, this is about your physical body. Pull out, take your hand right now. Just do this with me for just a second. I want to make this tactile. And grab, grab your own palm. Just grab your hand. Okay? Here's what I want. Here's why I'm having you do this. Paul is saying, what I'm, what I'm telling you to sacrifice, to put before God, is this. Your skin and your bones. This is not just theoretical, spiritual, detached, ethereal. This is a physical thing. I want you to set your body before God and say, my body is yours, God. Every single part of it. Your Christianity has a very unique understanding of our physical bodies because Christianity says your body is, is essential to who you are. Your body is, is very important to God. Your body is not just a shell that holds your soul. Everything that you do in this life involves this, your, your skin and your bones and your eyes and your mouth, everything you do. And holiness has to be expressed here. It's gotta be expressed in the way I speak, what I, what I look at or who I look at or how I look at them, right? It's gotta be expressed in my heart the way I feel. That's why Paul says, no, I want you to take your body and set it before God as a living sacrifice. In the history of our world, in human thought, there's always been two extreme views of the body. Two extreme views. Christianity sort of right down the middle. One extreme says the body is meaningless. 
The body is nothing. And the other extreme always says, actually, the body is everything. You know, have you ever noticed this? In Paul's day, they thought the body was nothing. So when they, when they read this verse, they were, they were Greek dualists. They'd been influenced by Plato. And Plato basically said, your body is, it's actually an encumbrance. It's worthless. It's just a shell. And the best thing that could happen to you is eventually you shed off that body because what you really are is a spirit. So they would read this and go, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God? No, the body is totally meaningless, right? And they would read that and go, wow, that's kind of a high view of the body. But there's another extreme, and it's the extreme of our culture today, which says, actually, the body is everything, right? If there is a culture in the history of our world that has worshipped the human body, it is our culture. Amen? We worship our bodies. We worship our bodies. Don't get me started on plastic surgery. Okay, don't get me started. I went to Korea. Did you know that Korea, South Korea, is the plastic surgery capital of the world? It's, it is becoming the number one source of annual revenue in their country, plastic surgery. People fly from all over the world to get plastic surgery. Did you know that 50% of girls between the age of 20 and 30 have had plastic surgery in South Korea? 50% and growing. They have the best plastic surgeons, thousands and thousands of plastic surgeons. People fly in from all over the globe to get plastic surgery. We drove through Gangnam, Gangnam, right? And it was like Starbucks, plastic surgeon. Krispy Kreme donuts, plastic surgeon, which is kind of ironic, right? Starbucks, plastic surgeon, Krispy Kreme, plastic surgeon, plastic surgeon, plastic surgeon, Krispy Kreme, just right down the street, thousands of plastic surgeons. And they spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to make their faces look different. We worship the human body. I read an article this week about American culture. And the article talked about how the American Psychiatric Association is considering adding a new behavioral disorder to their manual of, of psychiatric disorders because there's a new disorder, a behavioral addiction that's kicked in in our culture. And you're not going to believe it when I say it to you. Are you ready for this? You want to know what it is? Exercise addiction. Have you heard this? People are becoming addicted to exercise. I read that and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> exercise is good, right? That's like being addicted to vegetables or something. Or like, I'm addicted to reading my Bible. It's so horrible. No, this is a real thing in our culture. And people are actually injuring themselves, ruining their lives because they're exercising so much, it becomes an addiction. And then they turn on Instagram. And what do you see on Instagram? Feed after feed after feed of people taking a picture of their body after they work out. And we worship the human body in our culture. And Christianity says, the body is not meaningless, but also the body is not everything. It's somewhere right down the middle. Christianity is beautiful in this. Christianity says, your body is... It's not meaningless. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's why 
Christian holiness, growth and holiness happens as a believer says, God, because my body is the temple of your Holy Spirit, I offer my body to you as a living sacrifice. And I pray that everything that I do today with my physical body would be used for your glory. But also, Christianity says, your body's not meaningless. It's not nothing. Actually, your body is the place where sin continues to reign, and so you need to, you need to take control of your body. Your body is not to be worshipped. Your body needs to be sacrificed to God, and you need to say, God, I'm still wrestling with sin in my body. So when you pray this prayer, you have to get super specific. As you pray, you say, I've been using my mouth to cut down my sister and my brother in Christ. And you come before God. Tomorrow morning, you wake up and you say, God, I give over to you my mouth, and I pray that I would use my mouth the way Jesus would use his mouth. And you just get very specific, and you meditate on that. Can I ask you a question, brother, sister? Does God have complete control over every part of your body? Does he have control? It's a really great question. But also, does God have access to your mind, right? So that's the second thing you meditate on. You start with your body, you present your body, but then you say, God, I also present to you my mind, and I pray that I would be the kind of Christian who's really humble. I'd be the kind of Christian who longs for you to renew the way that I think. Can I show you something about Romans 12 too? Just look at the beginning of the phrase again. Paul says, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And the way that you get transformed is by the renewal of your mind. And what that tells me is that the way we think really matters. If a person is being conformed by the world, they're constantly, the world is telling them what to do and they're shaped completely by the world. That tells me that it has to do with the way they think. The world is dictating how you think about things and that's why you look like the world, right? And Paul says, so that's why if you're going to begin to be transformed, what has to happen is God needs to renew your thinking. He needs to get in there and begin to change things. And the Bible says it happens always, it happens to the same two things, the Holy Spirit and God's word. This is how God renews your thinking. You pull out your Bible, you come to church, you sit in here and you're, as you're hearing the word read over you, you're hearing the word sung over you, you're hearing the word preached over you, and in humility, you turn your mind to God and you say, God, will you please renew my thinking? Renew my thinking. Do you realize what, what we're doing right now is so important? And do you know that your contribution to it is more important than my contribution? Did you know this? Preaching, I'm just gonna talk about preaching for a minute. Do you know that they've done studies and they've said that the number one factor that causes change in a person who comes to church every week is how well that person listens to a sermon? Did you know that? You're thinking, dude, this seems kind of self-serving for a pastor to talk about this. You're preaching about how well we listen to the sermons. No, this is, they've done studies. The number one factor in your change on Sunday mornings has to do with how well you listen to a sermon. 
Isn't that interesting? How, how well you come prepared. Do you come with humility? Do you come every week expecting God's going to speak through me? It's not going to come through Adam or Guy or Marianne. Or, it's, they're just human vessels. The, the person who's speaking when I come into church is the Holy Spirit of the living God because we're opening our Bible. And so how you listen is the, is the crucial distinctive. Jesus said this. Go look at it later in Luke 8. He finished preaching the parable of the soils, and when he was done, he turned to his audience and he warned them. And he said, be careful how you listen. If you listen well, God will bring change in your life. But if you don't listen well, even what you think you have will be taken away from you. Jesus said it's, it's critical. It's critical how well you listen. So how about you? Do you come each week anticipating, God, I know you're going to speak to me. And I humbly, I humbly give you my mind. I know that you know better than I do. Your word is good and authoritative. And if I'm hearing something or I'm reading something and I don't like what I'm hearing and I want to resist it, that probably has more to do with the condition of my own heart than it has to do with, with you because you're trustworthy and good. Amen? God is so good. And then the, the last thing that you do, people who listen well always listen to immediately obey. So they don't, they don't go, oh, that was an amazing sermon. It was so intellectually stimulating. No, they say, I have to do something about this today. I, I cannot just be a hearer of the word. I have to be a doer of the word. I have to go and practice this. So maybe you've heard me talking about memorizing Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you're like, that is a really good idea. And you're like, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> like, I'm not going to actually do that. It's too hard, <laughs> right? But maybe God is saying, no, I think I want you to leave here today and begin to meditate on this verse and begin to pray this verse. And if you do, you're going to change. And God's going to do some beautiful things in your life. And you're going to become more and more like Jesus. I hope you believe that. That's what God wants for your life. Will you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray about that. But I want to give you just a minute to reflect in your prayer. Will you take a posture of humility right now before the Lord? Heavenly Father, you are so good. And we trust you, Lord. And we want to be the kind of people who are changing all the time, every day. Heaven forbid, Lord, that we would be here in a year and we would be exactly the, the same. And so our prayer this morning is that in your grace, you would help us to change. So may we be the kind of people who daily, moment by moment, we present our bodies to you and say, Lord, this, this belongs to you and I want it to be used for your purposes. May we be the kind of people who daily, day by day, and, and even moment by moment, we're always offering before you our minds in humility and saying, Lord, will you please change the way that I think? Shape me by your word. Shape me by your Holy Spirit. 
I want to change. Father, the greatest, the single greatest joy that we could experience is to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray for that, Lord. And we ask it in his name. All God's people said, amen.